Yeah, I got an inch today and a quarter inch yesterday. Yes, kick ass. Yeah. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. national team gear. With everything from jerseys, soccer cards, and scarves, Soccer 90 has something for everyone. I mean, we really do have something for everyone. Shop Soccer90.com. Now, and as listeners of this podcast, you receive 20% off your order when you use the code third degree at checkout. You should definitely do that. Some exclusions may apply. This podcast is also brought to you by listeners like you. If you like what we do, join us at the Patreon. Help support everything we do here at Third Degree. If you stick around at the end of the show, I'll have a little treat for you. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode numbered... 172. 172 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi. 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 Hello. It's me, Peter. Hope you're doing well. And uh, alongside, of course, is, uh, well, hold on. Wait a second. It's not the same old thing because we are absent one Dan Crook today who has decided that other things in his life are more importante than this. Um <laughs> And I would say that my feelings aren't hurt even a little bit, no. Not a little bit. Not even yep. a little bit, no. Yep. Uh, but lo and behold, do not despair. Your hero, my hero, everybody's hero is still here. Editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and all-man awesome, the amazing Buzz Carrick, come in Buzz. Yeah, Dan has a uh, life sometimes. I have no life other than FC Dallas, so I'm here and he's not. Raising my hand. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're in the middle, Buzz, of uh, Major League Soccer All-Star extravaganzas. And I have to say, um, Buzz, that uh, I, was, I learned something yesterday about you that I was mighty disappointed to learn. Oh, what's that? That you are not a fan of the goalie war. I am not a fan of any All-Star stuff. It doesn't matter whether you want to do goalie war or skills comps or the USA versus Mexico, any of it. I don't care. Goalie wars kick ass. (laughs) I I believe you. I just don't like showcase stuff. I like real stuff. Why? Don't you like bits? I like like bits that are comedy bits, not bits that are like fake game (laughs) bits. That's not my jam. Do you remember the MLS All-Star competition way back when when they had uh, they put the uh, sp- uh, the radar gun on who yeah. could kick the ball the hardest? Yeah, I remember all that stuff in the early days, yeah. It, wasn't it Zach Thornton, the Chicago goalkeeper, that like murdered the ball at almost 100 oh. miles an hour? Yeah, I, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. dude could kick the ball so hard. <laughs> it was frightening. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I only saw little bits and pieces. I guess they didn't show it on ESPN. The game's tonight. We're recording on Wednesday evening in the, uh, or late afternoon or whatever it is. And the game is tonight. And I only saw bits and pieces on uh, social media last night. I saw Jesus uh, pinging balls off of boards in the goal. And they looked happy about it. So I guess that went well. I have no idea what else happened other than that. I don't either. I, I will admit that like the last time I cared about all-star games was when I was so young, I wasn't even aware of who was in them. And my joy came from turning it on and then trying to look for like the cowboy helmet or the Rangers jersey, <laughs> like and right. see like who was in. But, you know, once I became a person with an adult with like I actually understood sports, since then, I that's not my jam. That doesn't mean, of course, that I don't understand their value. I understand why people do them. I understand why other people like them. I just it's not my cup of tea. So like, I know Jesus was in the skills thing and I know he did fairly. Well, I think I'm not, you know, he didn't win it like Pepe did, but you know. So what that means is, is the poor pod listener is, uh, 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 is lacking our insightful punditry on the MLS all-star event because you didn't even want to wait and and record the episode tomorrow so that we could talk about the big MLS game, (laughs) all-star game. You didn't want to do that. No, I do not have a breakdown on the keeper challenge for you. Other than the guy that won it is a draft pick Uh, of uh, Dallas. Buzz, it's called yeah. a goalie war, sir. Goalie wars? Oh, sorry. Get the guy right. that won the goalie wars is a draft pick of Dallas. <laughs> he was around for like a week and then vanished. I don't know whether he was not interested in Dallas or what, but he plays for Minnesota too. 
Technically, uh-huh. as far as I know, Dow still owns his MLS rights, though. So if they Zobek, no, uh, Alec Smear, I believe his name. Oh, is. Oh yes, I do remember that yeah. name. So uh, as far as I know, if if Minnesota were to bring him up, they'd have to trade Dallas a bag of balls for, for the MLS rights, technically. But those don't like, rights don't last forever. So eventually, he would be well. Free, I free I, of I, it. I did see that he was like a backup keeper for Minnesota. I'd, I had forgotten that he yeah. was a Dallas draft pick. But when I saw the picture of the participants, and it only looked like there was like five, four guys that did it, none yeah. of them stood out to me. And it made me wonder if MLS decided to do goalie wars, but they only used like clubs double backup guys because people are worried that goalies get hurt during goalie war. Well, I don't know about that part. I do know that it only aired. It didn't air at all. It was only like for people in the stadium, like to keep them entertained between stuff. And it was oh, just wow. like MLS next players. It was Minnesota two it was and somebody else two. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> it was. So it, it wasn't Martin Paz versus, you know, the, uh, Zach Thornton. No, it was. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Well, that's maybe. Yeah. I, see, I think goalie war is something that has uh, value and attraction because it's so weird um, <laughs> and it's fun to watch. And I saw a couple highlights of it last night. There were a couple dudes just murdering the ball. Uh, anyway, anyway, so, well, yeah. congratulations to Mr. Schmier, uh, yeah. uh for winning MLS goalie war. And hopefully he gets like a nice bonus check or something for that. Uh, and we'll see how the game goes tonight. But uh, Buzz doesn't give a crap, so neither right. does this podcast. Right. What we do care about are the events that took place over the weekend in one Portland, Oregon. What a weird night. Well, by the way, let's just start off. It was a weird day in Major League Soccer, period. There have been plenty of really, really good articles written across the web, uh, kind of trying to capture the insanity of that particular Saturday and how it started and how it ended. Uh, you know, Dallas's final kicks of the ball and Diego Chara's last touch of the ball ended up essentially ending. Up, I, I can't. This is I saw Doyle tweeting. I saw multiple people talking about this. Fifty seven goals in yeah. the course of like eight hours. And at one point that was equitable to like six goals a minute, which just seems ridiculous, Buzz. But here we go. Dallas ends up getting two ties on the road, ending in Portland, 1-1. I, on the other hand, you would think you'd be excited about that, but I'm not sure how I feel about this yeah. game in any shape or form. Well, the, the the whole weekend, the thing that was fascinating to me was the average game was 4.2 goals uh, per game. That's astronomical. Um, but, yeah, not listen, this is a game – that in hindsight, I guarantee you that I said at the time that the players are going to be mad that they didn't win this game. And I asked coach about that. And he said, yes, <laughs> they were. Now, granted, they almost lost the game as well. But they walked into that building and played some really good soccer. And they should have won that game. So there's a there's a, there's a a okay positivity of a point on the road. Okay, some positivity of a good performance pissed that you didn't win that game pissed at yourself that you didn't take advantage of the opportunities and win that game it should have been won by fc dallas and it was not so what so you say they're pissed and when you say they're pissed what are they pissed at the at the at the very clear and obvious opportunities that they didn't convert are they pissed more that they gave up the goal no what what is the area of disappointment or upsetness well, pissed is a little strong. I think it's more of a conflicting emotion that uh, some relief that they got out of there with the point, but um, recognition that the opportunity was there to take that game, some anger, uh, you know, personal anger of like, I should have had this or I should have had that, you know, and Nico talked to them about, um, he often talks to them about having the bravery to think you can go in places and play and that they did that. And they and they went in there and played a pretty even game, and I think had more possession than uh, Portland did on their home field. And they had less shots, but they had more clear cut scoring opportunities that, that that didn't result in technical shots, but were there for the taking. And so some some disappointment, perhaps more than anger, that that they're annoyed or recognized a missed opportunity. Look, when you look at, I didn't look these stats up, but you know, I know Portland was. Dallas has won once in their history in Portland. And I'm pretty sure Seattle's the same one or never. I'm sure if you looked up LAFC, it would be the same. When you go out to the West Coast and play these really good teams on the road, they've never, ever, ever gotten any results in these places. And now if you're talking about a team 
that's trying to get to the top of the Western Conference to compete, you need to eventually, unless you could spend like L.A. and get the number one position, you need to eventually be able to win games like this on the road. So this was a moment of recognition of this is a game that was there for the taking. We didn't quite get it, and we could have, but we're so close. And, and so that's mixed, some, some mixed feelings and some disappointment and some, some frustration at themselves as a group, but not like anger at, at their teammates or anything like that. I think, I think annoyed that they didn't get it when they could have. Did you, uh, I don't remember, did you say Paws was the man of the match? Is that who you awarded it to? I went with Siki for half of a game. I thought he That's was right. absolutely phenomenal. Right. I mean, you could have picked Paws. He was probably the team's the broadcast pick, I would imagine. All right, hold on. Put a yep. pin in Siki. I want to save him till later in the conversation. I kind of sure. want to, I want to talk about how the game kind of played itself out a little bit. Because it is a, fr- I mean, it, look, it's a, it's a difficult place to play. The surface is different. Um, uh, the scene and the atmosphere is clearly different. I was kind of surprised to see that the, the stadium wasn't full. It's very rare uh, to not see Providence Park, um, uh, uh, you know, packed to the rim. Um, that yep. was a little weird. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but it was, uh, and maybe that's a reflection of the timbers themselves. Cause they're not great by the way. Um, what, what were the, I guess the biggest question is because we found out early in the game or before the game that Paxton was out for the entire game. He wasn't even on the bench. Yeah. Um, uh, with an, with a minor injury, but it was the debut of Sebastian Legette. And I'm interested in your kind of take on his, you know, after just showing up with the team and being there for less than with the guys for 48 hours, his debut uh, for the club. I thought he was terrific. You know, we, we, we knew coming in that he was likely to see action, certainly because the coach is very familiar with him. He's been playing for uh, New England a lot. It's not like he's been sitting. So he's game fit, right? He knows the system because it's the same system from the national team. He knows this coach because it's the same coach from when he's with the national team, not the head coach, but one of the same coaches up until recently. So he plays in a way, a lot of ways he plays just like Paxson. He has the same, some of the same profiles that a midfield that Paxson does, except that uh, legit has the ability to get forward into the box and convert more goals and assists than Paxson does. This is the thing we've talked about Paxson missing playing that free position. So I actually have an expectation, and I did ask Coach about this, and he said it is certainly a possibility that you know when when everyone's healthy, Legette might play that more free role, and Paxton can play more of a box to box role, or he can play like a deeper double, uh, an eight and a double uh, pivot look. You know, there there are some versatility and some options there. So putting Legette in for Paxton. Uh, is a very simple swap that doesn't change anything in your system. Everyone else can play around him exactly the same. You know, there is some familiarity with some of the players from other guys that are in the national team. So it's about the easiest transition as you're ever going to see for a guy to come right in and play. And, and I thought he was fine. You know, I didn't, he didn't, you know, fall down and not do any things that, <laughs> that you wanted him to do. You know, he, he passed it like an 87% passing rate. That's pretty fine. You know, he Made had early runs into spaces yeah, in behind. Like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. 11 duels. He kept popping up into the box in the underneath role, which is what you want him to do. That little gap you want to use. You kept seeing him exploit the movement of Jesus. Uh, you accept You saw him exploit the movement of, of uh, Alan Velasco, which we'll come back to when we talk about him later. Uh, yeah, just a really good performance right out of the gate, and it was part of why they were able to compete in Portland. I, what's not to like, frankly? All right. So the other part of this was the news that you broke. I think you were the one that broke this. That Dallas essentially isn't. I mean, they paid for him in the form of Garber funny money. Yeah. But they didn't. They're not paying his salary. Yeah, you remember last time we 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 joked that um, when I saw Zanata again, I was going to say, "Hey, you told me that you wouldn't be able to do anything." Well, I did that when I saw him. I, I said that to him, and he said, "Well, I I also said that if we thought something could help the team, we would go after it." And I was like, "And I said, well, yeah, I, sure, but I thought I was speaking in terms of salary cap." And he says, "Oh, well, it's probably not been reported yet. I don't think it was reported that, that New England's paying his salary, and that's how we were able to fit him in." And under, I was like, "Wow, that's great news." I'm tweeting that out. So yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's an even better deal, you know. The, the funny money, the gam money, to me, like it was, they paid a touch more than New England did in the first place, but the New England version had all these uh, exploding, like 1.5 million if you met certain metrics or whatever. You know, 
the bottom line is that New England clearly, through their moves, is dumping roster uh, and cap for next season already. That's the only way I can read it. When you have a guy that's getting paid for what for you obviously seems like probably too much money up near a million dollars. Um, if you're trying to get rid of a contract like that, you often have to jump through hoops to make it happen. Yes. Dallas gave them game money back, which all sort of balances out on the spreadsheets and all that stuff. But the bottom line is someone has to pay the guy and have that money hit their actual cap. And that apparently is new England. Hmm. So that makes the deal even sweeter for Dallas right now. And that you added I did a thing on the website that was a recap of the the 30 man roster by position that I do like in the winter. And we had this one glaring veteran eight hole. We've been talking about since February, this, they finally were able to fill it in a way that benefits them long-term because this guy's going to, that fits the coach's system and fits the way the team plays. And it's a perfect addition to help their midfield in so many ways. And, and, and there's even a greater value, which I'll talk about again later. You know, you, you, Sometimes you make a move that could have handicapped you now, but isn't actually is benefiting you now because New England was clearly, obviously, by the fact they're paying the salary, desperate. You see this move in other leagues. Guys, teams paying part of salaries or all of salaries. Or like I remember when Dallas loaned um, the kid, the, the Chilean kid, when they loaned him back to Chile. You remember who I'm talking about? His name's on brain part. I don't remember his name. Oh, the little kid, uh, the, the Mario Diaz replacement. When yeah, they loaned him back name? to yeah. Chile, he was getting paid so much in here in Dallas that no one in Chile could afford him. So Dallas had to pay his salary. They had to send money to the Chilean team to basically cover his salary because, you know, now that's not on your books here, but um, it's how these things work when you're trying to move a player off your books that you don't want anymore. This That's just par for the course that you got to overpay to get rid of the guy. It's for New England, it's all about next year. They cleared a yeah. million-dollar player off their contract for next year. Yeah, the, the, the trick for Hunt and Zanata is how they figure that out for next season because he's going to be another million-dollar salary, and if they're already up against the cap, I'm assuming they are planning on dropping some uh, much-needed droppage in terms of large salary yeah, players. There's so. a, several guys, um, Mr. Frank O'Hara being one of them. But <laughs> the, uh, I, I thought Legette was uh, a really nice addition to the team. I most was pleased by the clear chemistry that he has, not just with Jesus, but with Areola. A lot of the one-two work that they were doing oh, yeah. uh, was really nice. Uh, and he he and, and what I do think becomes the interesting thing, and maybe we'll see that this weekend, assuming he's healthy again, is it does two things. One, I'm looking forward to seeing him play with Paxton, but it also very much uh, exposed the current uh, form of one Brandon Cervania. Yeah, well, Brandon was not particularly good in the first half, and um, he's actually I'm assuming he's going to show up as out this week because he was missing. Uh, he's had a reoccurrence of whatever is it is that's going on in his uh, lower abdomen that's causing these issues mm. lately. I thought it was a rib thing, but now they're saying it's something else. And so a, he's a gone to, thing or something uh, it, like it's related to abductor. I asked if it was a hernia and he said, no, I'm not really clear what it, what it is. It, apparently it's not a big deal, but he was out getting like some scans. And so there's probably they're going to have to do something. I'm not really sure. They acted like it was no big deal. And I'm going to take him with their word on that. Um, the bottom line is I don't think Brandon's going to be available this weekend. And certainly if he was having problems with that, that maybe was an indicator of why he didn't play amazingly. I thought he was perfectly okay. I just thought Siki was much better with his energy and movement and the team fed off of it. And that really enlivened the game. And and some, some of the differences between those two players are related to what the coach likes. And that's again, something I want to get back to in a minute. Um, and I just thought that it was more about Siki's, ability to pick the ball up and turn and make these bursting moves forward and catching Portland off guard with that. And that kind of enlivened the game a little bit. He's getting better with his passing going forward. He's getting better at his defensive positioning. Like we don't see him chasing down and fouling like we did originally. He's anticipating the game better. So phenomenal progression continues to happen with Siki. And in the context of that game, he was the player that just jumped out at me as it was a step forward clearly for him. Now, if one of the guys up front had buried some of those chances, they probably would have taken man of the match because those guys didn't play poorly. They just didn't rise to the moment like I felt Siki did. 
Yeah, I, I I thought Zeke's introduction to the game was noticeable. The the comparison I was making initially was just the quality difference between Legette and Cervania. Oh, yeah. I think that is that to me was the most stark. I mean, there are certainly differences between Cervania and Seeky, and they both have their pros and cons, and the cons yeah. on Seeky tend to get smaller and smaller, and the Brandon cons tend to grow a little bit of late. But just in the first half, watching Brandon play and his kind of body language and his uh, attitude towards the game is very in stark contrast to how Legette plays. And Legette just feels like a next-level kind of player. Um, and that's to me was the big difference. Yeah, Legette's in the prime of his career. He's approaching the tail off portion of his career, but he's still in the flat plateau prime of his career. He's as good as he's going to get. He's in full season form. He's in fringe of the national team form. Brandon is a player who has come up through the U.S. youth system, but hasn't progressed to the next level. He's 21, 22, somewhere in that neck of the woods. He still has six or seven years of improvement in eight or nine years. Maybe he'll be better than Legette is right now. But clearly right now, this is the difference between a top flight, legitimate front lines MLS starter, U.S. national team starter, not starter, sorry, U.S. national team pool player in the peak of his career versus a kid who is still an up and down roller coaster, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. You know, it's like he is a much more inconsistent than, say, Paxton, who is back to peak Paxton so far and continues to improve all the time. Brandon there's some concerns there in my mind, at least. And, and mm-hmm. that, that such a lifestyle, even between Paxton and legit, you can see the difference between a guy in the prime of his career and the prime of his confidence and Paxton, who's still growing. It's there's, there are different players in different quality stages of their careers. The other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, because I feel like, um, and it would be accurate to say that I've been critical of, um, Velasco and I would also say that I'm still a little bit critical uh, on him based on the Portland game. He had uh, his shot creations and goal creation opportunities were zero in that game, which is for shot creation in particular is unusual for him. But I do think what we have that has gone a bit ignored, and maybe this is my fault, is that there has been a pretty, what I think now, a pretty clear uh, downturn in the form of Paul Areola. Uh, and 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 that's the thing that I think maybe in many ways is somewhat more concerning. And the moment in the game where Paz completely reads the situation perfectly, plays that perfect ball to Paul, who also, by the way, reads the situation perfectly and ends up one-on-one with the goalkeeper, only to allow that and the way that he makes his decisions to play that to end up getting it blocked, I thought was really disappointing and really kind of a synopsis. If you really look at Areola's games over the last five, however however long it's been. By the way, Buzz, if I was going to ask you, when was the last time Paul Ariola scored a goal? Do you know how long ago it's been? Oh, a month? It was the Austin game mm. back on July the 15th. That is the only goal he has scored in his last nine games for Dallas. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I wrote in our Discord, you know, for like 10 minutes into the game, something like, uh-oh, Paul Ariola's off tonight. And it, and it was just little things, like little touches, little moments where the ball kind of bounced away from five inches further than he would like balls hitting the post little decisions. Uh, I definitely think that that that's kind of uh, uh, what went wrong with the whole game was uh, listen, I'm not a believer in the XG stat at all. And particularly for a single game, I'm not a believer, but if you look at this team, the players that you expect to have XG are Jesus, Ariola, and Velasco. Those are the guys, right? And Ariola was roughly 0.5. So half of a chance Velasco was 0.2, half uh, a quarter of a chance. But like those moments were the moments that were there for the taking. And they're the moments that didn't translate. They're the moments where you say, like you say, Ariel is in on the goalie and he makes the wrong decision. Velasco's got opportunities to cre- to create key passes. Usually he has two, three, four. There was a game the other day where he had five key passes and this one he had zero. And it's just like, Jesus I thought was great. I think Jesus probably had like, um, three key passes. So Jesus was on his game, but he was on his game in a deeper, uh, kind of a, a little more of a playmaking. He didn't go all the way back to the midfield, but he wasn't high in the box like we would want him to be. So I, I think that's the, when, when we talk about them being a little bit disappointed, I think that's where it comes in. 
that this was a moment, a game where some ruthlessness or some efficiency or some, some, je ne sais quoi, I don't even know what it would be like the, the, that ability to find that little extra something and take the game wasn't quite there. And that's, and I think that's, was pretty obvious with all the guys up front is, is was just all off that, that night. Well, I, well, I don't even think it's that night buzz. I do think, think that there has, night? well, I think I do think that we have talked a lot about at the beginning of the season, what was driving kind of the excitement was a high efficiency in finishing the few opportunities they've made that clearly yeah. has downturned over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 plus games. Uh, but what I continue to just get mad at, like I, I just want to throw something at the television, and this was ev- this this happened in the Seattle game. This also happened uh, in L.A. Uh, this happened uh, in Portland, which is Dallas. I there maybe there's a stat for this somewhere in somebody's database, and if somebody knows where this is, I'd love to see it. But Dallas absolutely has to lead this league in being handed. Uh, non-forced turnovers in their opposing in their opponents defending <laughs> half of the field, and 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 almost nine times out of ten, not just not scoring, but not even turning it into a dangerous opportunity, and that continues to drive me bonkers about this team. Is that their just killer instinct in capitalizing on other teams' mistakes is a glaring problem. Uh, at, at what's what eventually I think is going to differentiate them being like a legitimate uh, playoff contender and just a team that shows up in the playoffs potentially and loses in the first round. Yeah, that efficiency is a, an issue. You know, I was just looking at the shot charts and Jesus had the only shot on target and it was from outside the box. Every, all the other shots that came from inside the box were Velasco and Areola and, and Velasco put both of his wide and Areola's was hit the post and blocked. You know, and those were all the shots they had from inside the box was those four. Everything else was from range, you know, and which is not what you want. So the, in the game before we talked about, you know, the lacking that one final little move into the box to get yourself a good shooting opportunity. So, the, yes, the efficiency, what, what for me has fallen off is it's not necessarily the efficiency as much as it is like making the one further is a little bit of. I'm not going to call it panic, but a little bit of like edginess that it's like, oh man, I got to score. I got to get this. And sometimes that's the wrong vibe to be having. The vibe needs to be patience in the final moment, the, the right choice in the final moment, the, the, the calmness in the final moment. You don't want to be panicking. You don't want to be making poor decisions. So some of that I put down to the youth of the team. Some of that I put that down to the recent struggles. I think they'll come through it. I hope they'll come through it. Some of this is going to be a coaching. The coach is going to have to work on immensely, you know, in terms of that final third stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a, a thing that's deficient right now. They're winning these games because their defense is keeping them in games. They're tying games because their defense is keeping them in games. Mm-hmm. But before the offense was doing it, so it's a, it's a definitely a different coin from the beginning of the season. Uh, do we continue to express any concern over um, <clears throat> um, Martinez? Martinez, sorry, uh, and his, whatever weird ailment is going on with that yeah. dude. Uh, you know, Steve, I thought was re- pretty revealing in the in his uh, kind of trying to explain it uh, when he went down again and had to be subbed out in the 59th minute. And I, I don't know. There's just something really worrisome about the fact that one of your two starting center backs can't cons- can't consistently get past or do a full 90 minutes. That's that really is weird to me. Yeah, they actually, I think, have a long term center back issue because Martinez has this thing that can sometimes happen with contact, if I remember correctly, where his muscles kind of lock up. And you could tell when he was standing there and it looks like all of his muscles are cramping in his legs. You could see it when they were showing him, mm-hmm. you also have to consider that Hedges' age, he also tails off late in games, you know, because he's not 27, he's 32, right? So it's yeah. like we're starting to get into that kind of window with him. You know, Nikosi gets out there and he has all the physical tools right now, but he's so inexperienced, and this is why it annoys me we don't play him more, he's so inexperienced that he, he, he falls asleep for a second or he makes the wrong choice here or there. You know, and beyond that, they got nothing. So it's like they definitely have a center back issue going forward. And I think they know it. You know, I think I think they're recognizing that that's possible, you know, because I, I watch in training and I watch them work aggressively work other combinations than just Hedges and Martinez so they can get guys used to each other that when they need to go to them, they can have this confidence in this, this teamwork play. So I think they know that's a, that's a problem. 
Well, it was it was interesting because by the time, you know, because the game was so weird, but when the 65th minute or whenever Farfan had to go out with that weird uh, situation, yeah. and now Nanu is playing at left back, and the last time Nanu played left back as a backup uh, was the Austin game where he gave up that turnover that ended up leading to their tying goal. That was all very much hands and fingers over the eyes for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so as yeah. Dallas just continued to try and try and try. And and it worked out, right? Like, I mean, yes, they gave up the goal in extra time and all of that. But yeah. with, with with Farfan's injury and Mart- Martinez's uh, situation, I don't know, man. It is it is a bit of a relief that they ended up at least getting a point considering all the uh, game situations. Yeah, I actually thought Nanu was all right. That was one yeah. of his better performances. Um, this team gives up. Too many PKs and too many fouls right outside the top of the box that result in free kicks. That's something they need to work on. I think that's a sign of sort of rash emergency defending because you've been dragged out of position a little bit. You know, those those are things that those are telltale signs that defense isn't quite as locked down as you'd like it to be. But yet, we have to be honest that the that the good goals against this year is why this team's in the position as it is. The beginning of the year, they had a really nice defense and they got really low numbers and won a lot of games. You know, and that's why they're halfway decent. You know, in this terms of the standings, so it's not it's not panicking or anything, but there's definitely some cracks showing in the defense that need to be addressed. And injuries compound it, and, and the long season compounds it. I'm sure the heat compounds it. You know, it's something where you have to watch for sure. <coughs> Just a <to> change. <coughs> <laughs> sorry, something in your throat, Peter. <laughs> sorry, did I say? Oh, sorry, did I say yeah. that out loud? Um, no. All right. Uh, well, listen, what, I, I don't know that that what is Chay nineteen now. I don't know that this coach likes nineteen year olds. I'm not sure that'd be helping. To be uh, honest, with you. well, I they okay. Show me what you got. It's a better option. <laughs> Why well, don't I mean, you know? But but that's uh, I'm not sure it would be. I mean, right now, I don't know that he would get in over Kinyunes, for example. Uh, well, okay. Well, that's probably because he's been banging around in the German. Yeah, version of NTPSA for the last year, and uh, yeah, well, okay, that's that, an exaggeration. That, it is what, what I mean. it is. It is what it is. I know he wants to be there. That's where he wants to apply his trade. Yeah, you can't force him to come back. Doesn't want to. More power to him. Um, yeah, so the game was really weird, and I appreciate the fact that uh, Dallas stuck it to Portland and broke a bunch of you know Rose City hearts at the end of the game. I, I'm oh. frustrated by the missed opportunities. I thought that was really disappointing. Um, but I, I, I will say with the debut of Legette, and I'm hoping, do you, I guess I'm going to ask you my next question is, do you know what uh, uh, Paxton's uh, health situation is for this weekend? I know that he and Faku are close and that they are closer than some other guys. So, you know, I, uh, based on what I saw in training, it would not shock me to see either Paxton or Faku play. I'm, mm. I'm, I would, if I had to bet money, I would not bet on that. But if they are both one or both of them that were in, that wouldn't shock me either. I talked to Paxton for about 10 seconds, you know, and he's, and he's obviously always optimistic when he's in, you know, Paxton is, yeah. uh, you know, it's just a little thing. He confirmed that, that it's no big deal, you know, cause we, he and I talked a little bit about how good he's feeling. Otherwise with all the other stuff we're actually worried about, you know, and he was like, Oh, it's great. I feel awesome. You know, you know, he says that, but I believe him this time because the way he's playing, you know, so I'm not concerned about Paxton. If he's in, he's, that'd be great, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. All right, so now we've also, because of, uh, you mentioned Faku and his extended uh, yeah. absence due to injury, Are you where are you in the Edwin Cerillo meter? Same. Uh, I, I, I love his range. I, I love um, the improvement in the game reading defensively. I agree with Steve Davis that Edwin needs a nasty streak. He needs to learn that there are times you just got to wreck a dude. And he doesn't. He's a little too nice. This was a problem Jordan Stone had too. You know, you, sometimes you got to be nasty when you're playing as a six. Uh, where Edwin's deficiencies are, particularly compared to Facundo, um, is in p- presenting himself in good positions to relieve pressure from his backs, from his defense. Facundo is better at showing and, and building out through passing putting himself in a good spot and be able to pass forward. Edmund's better at recovery and then turning and moving away with the ball at his feet like Siki does. Not that good, but he's better at it than Facundo. Facundo movement is not Facundo's thing. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot Edwin is still learning, and, it, and I think he can improve at those areas of 
uh, it's not defensive reading. It's once we've won it reading, where do I need to be to get my, the ball out of the back end to, to help my center backs out to present myself as an opportunity to build forward. He's reacting late on that stuff still. And I've, I've watched them in training and they're pointing stuff out to him. And he's working on it and hopefully he'll improve at it. Hopefully. And then the nasty streak thing. I don't know. Sometimes people are just not mean enough. Not, they're just too nice. And I do worry that Edwin is just too nice a kid. There comes a time, remember Simo Valkari? Uh, Oscar Preya used to say that Simo off the field was the nicest guy he ever met, but on the field, he was the biggest bastard he ever met. And that's what you got to be like if you're going to be a six. So I'm not sure Edwin has that yet. And that's another thing he can learn from Facundo. And so I'm still optimistic that Edwin has a upside. And But for right now, I think those guys are going to continue to play time, split time. And probably once Facundo's healthy, I'm sure he'll be a starter again. But uh, we'll see. Okay. And what was your take? Because we mentioned him earlier, but didn't oh, really yeah. talk about his game. What was your takeaway of uh, Velasco's performance in Portland? Uh, not bad, not bad. The, the particular thing that was noticeable, and uh, I've noticed the last couple of games, and I actually asked Nico about it, and he confirmed it, is that um, Velasco is playing much more aggressively as what we would traditionally call a lot of people will call a false wing. He's doing a lot of popping up in the center channel. He's not quite a 10. He's not quite a real wing. He's kind of doing both. So they're giving him a lot of freedom to balance that wide play with the coming underneath play, occupying you know what Dan calls zone 14 underneath the striker. You, you want, in this particular system, you want both of your eights and both of your wings to pop into that space. So uh, Velasco's doing that more, and you can see it in the heat maps the last couple of games. He's having this presence inside. And so I was watching that, and so I asked Coach about it, and they said, yes, absolutely, we want him to do that. We're working on him with that to take advantage of those opportunities where he can pick up the ball in different spaces and make those attacking moves and those attacking dribbles. So, again, the kid's a work in progress. He's, he's learning how to play at a league that is different than where he came from. The defenses are different. The systems are different. He's, he's not just a dribble at guys anymore. He now he's a built big up by the size of his game. And so his defensive positioning has gotten better. And overall, I'm, I'm relatively happy with the progression. And I thought other than his failure to capitalize and get himself some scoring opportunities, because he had, he like uh, Ariola had moments where he could have taken the game and didn't, you know, that's, you know, those, when you're paying a guy that kind of money, you better be doing some really fancy things when you get those moments, right? That's what I, like I did my post game thing. I talked about needing us. If you're going to overcome these road games against these very difficult teams, you need these special players to be special. And somebody was like, you tell me that kid's not special. Yeah, but you got to rise above the game and recognize the moment and make it happen. If you want to be considered among the special players. And that's where all three of those guys on the front line didn't do that in this game, but they're all kids. Well, area is not. They're, Jesus and Velasco have a lot of growing still to do in those moments. Jesus wants those moments. I don't know that Velasco wants them yet, but Jesus for sure does. Yeah, I was very frustrated. I mean, I, the Areola opportunity uh, yeah. uh, miss was pretty bad, but Velasco's was maddening in the fact that he had a simple tap-in with his left, I think it was his left foot, and yet yeah. he tried to skill-check his way to his right foot and ends up blowing it over the top. And that, and that to me, is just bad decision-making, and it's a lack of confidence. You got two yeah. feet for a reason, and at this level, you should be able to do, you should have the awareness just to tap that ball in with your left foot on the easy opportunity, but uh, yeah. I'm also not the guy out on the field. So maybe I don't yeah. know what I'm talking well, about. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, sometimes there are little bitty intangibles. Con Clark used to say when everyone that gets to this level can play, the difference is sometimes hard to define. It's the mind or the will. It's these tiny little moments. Yeah. And that was one he missed. He could have won the game right there. And then he had another one where he fired it kind of curving and wide. It didn't get it on frame. Get it on frame, man. Give yourself a chance. And and But, you know, again, 19, I know. <laughs> I look at other 19-year-olds that can't even get their shoes on right. You know, and this kid's playing at a pretty good level. I mean, he's not where we want him to be, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too upset with the progression is making me happy. All right. So uh, Dallas goes on the road to the dreaded – Pacific Northwest duo of road games and comes away with a point. And uh, do you call it a moralistic win in Seattle, Buzz? A moral uh, win? A one nothing loss? Just losing yeah. only only losing one nothing in Seattle? Is that the a moral win? Yeah, I think so. I think that was a pretty decent performance. I mean, uh, look, Seattle. I know people say that Seattle's a little bit off this year, but they're getting guys healthy. 
And I would not bet at all that they're not going to end up at higher end than Dallas in the playoffs by the time the season's over. I think Seattle's a good team. You know, they're, they're kind of round about, they, they've been missing Rui Diaz. They've lost Jao Paulo for the year and his backup. They're trying to figure out how to get around that. You know, they're getting better. I'm just, I think anytime you go into Portland and rotate half your start, not Portland, sorry, into Seattle and rotate half your starters and put on a pretty good performance and give yourself a shot. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good result. I don't, I'm not upset about either one of these opportunities. You know, when you're talking about a t- young team still trying to learn and a, with a very short bench, remember, keep in mind, they got like six dudes they use. <laughs> they used all of them in Seattle. Well, there's an interesting game coming up Saturday night because San Jose comes to town. Now, San Jose is an interesting case because San Jose hasn't won a game in a while, but San no. Jose is also unbeaten. And it's lot. I think it's their last nine or ten matches against Dallas. I think it's like four and five or five and five. Um, and they're also coming off a come from behind draw on the road. So they're doing. So they're doing their version of our Pacific Northwest trip. They're they've been stuck in Texas because they yeah. just came from behind to get a three three draw down in Austin. And we know Austin's a pretty good side, but we love them dropping points. Uh, so this is not, despite their place in the table, this is definitely no shape or form a gimme, but it is absolutely a game that I think we all would agree Dallas needs to get three points. Yeah, when you're a team that's in the top half of the Western Conference and you're playing a team in your house, it's in the bottom half of the conference, you should win these games. I know I know San Jose is probably improving. I know that they just had a couple decent you know, ties lately. They haven't won games, but it's like that's – that doesn't change the fact that this is a team you should beat and that therefore you need to. It's like home points are massive. You know, you you only have a limited number of them left. You know, it's not that many points between yourself and the out of the playoffs still. I mean, the, the we talk about how it's nice to be, you know, third place or whatever, but when you get right down to it, Dallas is sitting on 20 uh sorry, wrong call. 36 points and Seattle, who's eighth, is 32 points. They're literally 4 points behind you. So it's like you can't be muddling around and dropping home points. It's like you got to put this one away. This needs to be um, – this can't be one of these games where you're like, oh, we're better than San Jose. We don't really try it. No, you need to be ruthless and stomp on this team when they come in here. Treat it as if, as if LAFC is coming in and put on your A game and try and wreck them because if you sort of just let them stay in the game, they're going to give you problems like they did Austin. Yeah. Let's see. So the last time they won is on a road game against L.A., and that was five games ago. Since then, they've lost three and tied two. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, any, so in terms of lineups and formations, any predictions for the San Jose game? Eight o'clock, by the way. Yeah, well, I would imagine that Jesus and Ariola will come back and be fine. All-star games are not taxing. You know, Velasco will be fine. Legette should be in there now. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to ever take him out of the lineup. As I mentioned, Paxton was on the side, and Brandon is basically, if they don't list him as out, I'll be really surprised because I, I don't think there's any way he's playing. So you're looking at probably Legette and Siki in the midfield because mm-hmm. I don't think Paxton can go, probably. I wouldn't bet on him going. Let me put it that way. Uh, same with Facundo. He, he, he did stuff on the side. So, again, he's close, but... I wouldn't put money on it. So you're looking at Cerio again. The problem is that both Farfan and Shun, we don't care about Shun at this point, but Farfan came out of the locker room like late in training and was like in sneakers. So he wasn't like dilly dallying on the side like Paxson. He was like complete rehab mode. So I'm not at all optimistic that Farfan will play. I, I'm going to assume Farfan's out at this point. Okay. Which I think leads you to. Nanu starting either at right back with Tuomasi left or just Nanu left. And more than likely, probably back to Martinez and Hedges, unless Martinez is worse than we think. But otherwise, I don't think you'd want to go with... I mean, I would go with Nikosi all season, but since that hasn't happened, you kind of are stuck on Martinez-Hedges, particularly if Nanu's got to be in there at left back, then you definitely want Martinez for his experience in reading. So, And then pause, of course, is... Basically, yeah. So the midfield and left back is the the question marks for Dallas. 
that that is interesting that if Siki does, because I'm, you know, we talked a little bit about his performance in the second half in in Portland, yeah. which was very exciting, and there are clear upsides to his game. What I want to know now is is he over whatever what has been ailing him and oh. causing him to come out of games twenty minutes <laughs> in? Not to ask. Uh, oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, Damn I you. suck. Sorry. Um, uh, because I mean, because if if. Because here's the deal. This is what you're thinking. If you're thinking what I'm thinking, if they go into this game and Paxton is not ready to go and Cervania's hurt and Siki starts the game and he has another one of these episodes 25 minutes into the game, who comes in and plays center mid? Yeah, well, it ain't going to be Thomas. Oh, uh, I was leading you down the primrose yeah, path to make that no, announcement. I know. It ain't going to be him. I can tell have you they, that. Have they officially broken up with Thomas? Uh, the coach has. That's my hot take that I wanted to give you. Oh, I'll, I'll explain why. Okay. Um, the coach would never say that, but uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, Tuomasi's played a little eight before. If I mean, listen, if if Paxton's close and he's not, he could be on the bench. You know, then that's fine. Or Facundo, if he's on the bench, then he can come in as as an eight. You know, it's not great, but he can do it. Um. Honestly, Velasco can go in the middle. You can do a double pivot and drop Legette deeper next to Edwin and have Velasco Jesus. be more like a um, – or Jesus too. He and Velasco both can – you can bring in Har and Jesus can drop in as a 10 in front of a double pivot. Point being that Legette can drop deeper and do the 6-8 combo with Edwin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's ways to work around it if Siki has to be pulled. Okay. Um, you go three at the back, you know, like they did the other day. But it ain't going to be Thomas. Okay, so what's your take on the Thomas Roberts yeah. situation? So this is actually a bigger uh, epiphany is the wrong word. I was watching North Texas play. I was watching Thomas play, and and some thoughts were going through my head. Oh, he played and, for North Texas. Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, played. Came in the second half. Did he score a hundred goals in no, forty-five no, minutes? No, he looked good. But here, okay. let, me, let me get through this thing. So do you remember the story I told earlier in the year when Paxton tried to run through Matt Hedges in practice? And basically mm. broke himself, and then had to like leave practice. It was, uh, it was like I've, vaguely, yes, back in March. And I said to Coach, jokingly, "Will you tell Pat Paxton to quit doing that?" And he's like, "No, he's got to fight through it." I was like, "Oh, uh, okay," because this is when he was still coming back from stuff. And just since then, I've watched this coach make choices about players, and we can talk about some of them. For example. He likes guys that have uh, good soccer brains and high-level soccer understanding of the concepts they're doing. But he also likes grinders and warriors. He likes Facundo over Edwin, right? The mm-hmm. old guy with experience who can grind and dig in. He likes Siki over Brandon. Brandon is a smooth kind of drift around, kind of pick the ball up. Siki is a tenacious, attacking, aggressive bulldog of a player he loves Paxton he loves Paxton so much Paxton didn't have a backup even though he's coming off (laughs) these injuries right this coach likes guys who are uh think about what we talked about at the beginning of the year with the training how training changed how training was focused and intense it's it's like we're here to work we are professionals this is not a joke we are not messing around we are training he likes guys that show up every day and bring it hard in training. He'd loved that Paxton tried to run through hedges in training. That's my point is that this dude likes guys that will claw the guy's eyes out in order to try and win the game and to reflect that all the time. So I'm watching North Texas play and I'm watching T- Thomas and he's the same. I don't know if it's been so long as you've seen him play. Probably. I, I, I don't even remember the last yeah. time I saw Thomas Roberts play soccer. He's a glider. He drifts. He slides into pockets. He picks up the balls and makes these splitting passes. He picks the ball off of players and he kind of lopes away. He's constantly floating and drifting. He's never exploding. He's never smashing guys. He's never digging hard. It's just not the way he is. He's a great player, in my opinion. There are guys in the organization that think he's really special. But he, for this coach, sometimes coaches just have a kind of player they like and that's who they're going to build with. Look how short this bench is. Look where Shun is. Shun, who went from 
uh, having like six assists and four starts or whatever toward the latter part of the season to like completely out of the team now. Well, Shun is a happy-go-lucky kind of everything is a frivolous kind of trainer. This coach traded the offensive uh, explosiveness of Ryan Hollingshead for a defensive-minded, dogged left back. Ryan Hollingshead, as much as he was the emotional leader of this team, was never captain because he's a terrible trainer. He only does enough during the week to get himself ready. He doesn't lead by work ethic like Matt Hedges does. So I think you have to, for me, this is an epiphany about this coach. It explains the short bench. It explains why certain guys are not getting any chances. It explains why he's going out and trading for Areola and Legette, these smart veteran MLS guys that know how to grind and fight and compete. You can look at almost any player on the field except for Velasco, who's about the $9 million you paid. You can look at almost any other player on the field and you can see the choice being made because of these characteristics that this coach likes. So that's why I watched Thomas play for 30 minutes against North Texas, and I'm like, he's never going to get a minute of action for this coach. It doesn't matter what he does, in my opinion. This is 100% just my opinion. It doesn't matter what he does in training. That kid is not getting back into the fold here because of the way he plays. Just like the like the look of him, the way he moves. You know how, you know how it is, Peter, when you watch yeah, a game, no. certain guys speak to you. This coach, Thomas does not speak to this guy. Shun does not speak to this coach. So you can you can make any look at any guy on the field and, and think about how he is as a player and think about is that going to get make this coach excited about getting him in? No, that's why there's like five dudes that play off the bench and that's it. Oh, I mean, Buzz, you and I have been around this for a really long time, yeah. and I think we could go from all the way going back to Dave Durr. Every coach has at least one, if not multiple players on their roster that the fan base or people in the media are like, Why are they not using this guy? And it's because yeah. the coach just doesn't, for whatever reason, they got a guy on their roster that they just don't like something about. And they're in the doghouse or they're just not going to get the opportunity. And, you know, uh, sometimes those guys go to other teams and flourish. And sometimes they go to other teams and you're like, oh, no, the coach was right. That guy does suck. And and that's just yeah. how it happens. And in this case, I think poor Thomas is. Yeah. And she. And, and well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I you know, Shun's situation is really interesting to me because, um, you know, that's a guy who clearly uh, has interest at his national team level. We saw a lot of interesting things about his game. I'm I'm interested in knowing what it is about Shun's game, and maybe is it this is it this kind of like laissez faire attitude that he yeah. plays with? Is that what so. it is? It's not a skill set thing or a tactical thing. He's kind of a. You know, he's a, he's a bubbly, chuckly personality. Like, practice is kind of fun and lighthearted for him. He's not out there just crushing dudes and, like, fighting through like Paxson does. You know, he kind of is, uh, you know, I, I call it a bright personality. He doesn't. He's not this intense, focused, you know, he's always distracted by going off with the national team. I, it's, listen, I think Shun's a good player. I wish they would con- use him. But sometimes a guy just like the wrong way rubs the coach right out of the gate. I, I remember when Oscar, they brought in this guy, this left back one time who um, from somewhere to South America that's supposed to be great. He was in camp for like a week and a half. And Oscar went to the, the people and said, that guy will never play for me. Get rid of him. And it was like, it was just like oil and water. You know, sometimes that happens with coaches. And I think yeah. you can look at lots of dudes on this roster that don't play. Like, look how they shipped out Hernandez. I couldn't, for, to begin with, tell you why they loaned Hernandez out. But look how Khalil doesn't play. You don't even get a minute from him. You know, it's just he, he, the way he looks at players, you know, is different than the way I look at players. And it's not a criticism. It's just it finally occurred to me, like, what it is that he gets real excited about and what it is he's playing for. And it's a combination of uh, the, the, the legit trade and then watching Thomas play and being like, Oh, and it kind of hit me. Yeah. And so I think you can honestly look at the entire roster that way. And you can look at any given positional battle and you can see it break out that way. Pretty much, you know, look at how Obreon, like there's a verticality there. That's nice. But think about like how poor his decision making is or how he doesn't know where to get defensively. Again, that's, that's the smart side. Or maybe like he's, he's only, he's only active and aggressive for maybe like half the time he's in there. Again, not, not something the coach loves. This guy wants relentless dogged fighters and guys with experience and brains. It makes me wonder what, when the next Academy kids ever going to play. Cause like 
both of those things aren't exciting to this coach, <laughs> right? To play the kids is done as near as I can tell, you know. Like, I think I think he would hate Dante Seeley, for example. I I don't know if he even knows anything about Dante Seeley, but what I know about Dante Seeley, I almost guarantee that if he were to come back, this coach would be like, no thanks, hmm. you know. Well, that may pose to be a problem because that's a critical component of the entire business model of FC Dallas. So <laughs> that seems like <laughs> yeah. the two forces about to collide with each other. So I, I will watch that for, but I, I think the big takeaway is what happens to Thomas now? We obviously love the kid and oh. want nothing but the, for the best for him. But if, if you're right, then they just yeah. need to let him go find another team to play on. I, there's there's, there's got to be no way they'll pick up his option. He's on an option year. Uh, I got oh, a dollar. Okay. I'm just going to bet straight out that he'll never play for this coach and that at the end of the season they won't pick up his option. Okay. It's just not – there's too many guys on this team that don't fit this coach. And we Listen, Peter, we talk about all the time, right? Three-year cycle. Remember how much they talked about it was a process? What they meant was half this roster I don't want – it's going to take us two, three, four windows to get it straightened out. So it's a process, right? Mm. And that, that's part of it. And you can see now halfway into the season who plays and who doesn't, who is part of his team going forward and who isn't. Sometimes this guy's a surprise me. Like Benny, I thought there's no way that Benny would be the kind of player that coach likes, but he talks about how good Benny is in training. And I'm like, well, that's not the Benny I remember from the academy. So credit to Benny. He's changed his ways. Benny Regich. He's become the kind of player that this coach likes. Hey, good on you, Betty. Nice job. So he's in the picture, and Thomas is not. Yep. And this is just my read. Like no, no one has said this to me with the team. It was just I was watching Thomas silky smooth gliding around, picking the ball up, and I'm like, oh man, I bet this coach freaking hates that. Just the way he does it, you know. Man, they're gonna they're gonna get rid of him and not pick up his option, and now my Tommy Poo FC Dallas jersey yeah. is gonna be worthless. No, it's still important to you, man. That's okay. What matters. Thanks, Buzz. Yeah. Uh, all right. And with uh, now, I guess training this week has been a little wonky with MLS uh, All Star shenanigans going yeah. on. Did you get to go out to practice this week? I did. I went out on Tuesday. Uh, the fun part was for me was that they brought well, other than just watching training was they brought up um, Bernie Camungo and um, Mulatto, whose name I can't remember, his first name I can't remember, who were two of the three best players for North Texas. Mulatto's a nine, and Bernie's a wing, so that was replacement for Jesus and and. Uh, Areola. So it was fun watching those guys integrate in. Obviously they're not quite up to this, you know, the first team training regiment, but it was a, it was a reminder that um, the, the academies are back training because they're kicking off in like a week or so. So this was a reminder to me of the current state of things where like the best things the, the in terms of the team pipeline that most might be able to help FC Dallas are actually with North Texas, like uh, hope, uh, Kamongo and Mulatto are far more likely to help this team than anybody in the academy within the next year. I mean, now there's stuff in the academy that's going to help you in four or five years mm-hmm. down, but not, um, not, not uh, like immediately. Whereas the North Texas guys are super close, you know, and I, I think we're looking at a coach, how much they've talked about helping. Can the, you help the team now? I think a lot of these kind of things are going to come down to fresh new spring camp three or four guys come in from North Texas. Why don't you guys come in from Academy like Antonio Carrera did and Antonio won himself a homegrown contract. That's the way it's going to happen. I think with this particular coach is you're going to have to come into camp and beat out a guy one-on-one and prove that you're a better option than Benny Regich for me to bring you in as a wing or better than, than Ima Tuomasi. If we're talking like a right back, you got to come in and beat him out, you know? So uh, in some ways, that's kind of cool, but it also means that it's going to be really hard for some teenager to get a homegrown deal, you know, in the current vibe. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that feels like that's one of those. That's the beginning of that whole conflict between how this coach wants, uh, you know, wants a certain type of player versus these young guys who historically have seen the opportunity. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But it is fun to watch those guys come up and train with the team. Um, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and see and, and just kind of take a measurement of where they are and how they match up and are they way and can you clearly see the differences between their level and and the yes. team levels so. you, you can but it's more it's mostly about um how quickly the ball moves and how quickly that the action is and that's mm-hmm. you cannot replicate that from next pro to mls i mean next pro is a big jump 
and, and stepping into first team training, boy, you know, it is a big step. Both of those guys did fairly well, but you can clearly see that they're not used to it. You know, they both have a lot of uh, things to offer. You know, I, I think it's more likely Kamungo offers something where they actually need a body than than the nine does. Something Mulatto might come down. Remember, that's the kid that was the Bayern um, World uh, Talent World Competition whatever, yeah, yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 a Bayern influence there, and there's a team he currently belongs to technically in Colombia there. So it's hard to define what his price might be or how many fingers are in that pie. So it's hard to know whether that's like, oh, he looks good, but that's not always as simple as Kamungo is, who they found themselves in just as on their own guy, you know. Okay. Uh, we covered a lot of stuff tonight, uh, Buzz, and we did it without Dan, which hurts. Yes. Yeah. It's Sorry, Dan. Not as much fun without the uh, our English compatriot. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, there's there's some stuff going on with the academy, like I mentioned last week. I think with the massive influx of players coming in, apparently there are even still several that are trying to make a decision this week if they're joining or not. Hmm. So, I mean, honestly, I'm looking at like 20 plus names up and down the different levels of the academy. It really is an indication, as I mentioned, that a recruitment had fallen off and they recognized a couple classes that were deficient. There's also some weird stuff happening with um, Classic League in terms of FC Dallas youth, I knew of one or two teams that were leaving Classic League and coming up to ECNL is, is developing more national leagues and regional leagues. Apparently, FC Dallas pulled. It's just a rumor. I haven't confirmed it yet, but they may have. Dallas may have pulled out like almost all their teams out of every single age bracket in the Classic League and left like one team each left in the Classic League and moved a bunch of their teams up to these. In, ECNL regional leagues, which is like all of Texas rather than just local and national leagues, which is, you know, similar to uh, the next pro, but obviously much lower level down because there's a couple of tiers of it. But um, I would assume that's about competing against better teams and getting a, a broader pool of talent and that such as things like that. But um, I'm listening the, the, the landscape at the youth level here, just in Dallas alone, but uh, through MLS and on down is just constantly involving. I don't know how anybody keeps up with it at all. There's so much happening down there below the academy level, uh, it's just uh, just when I think I'm starting to get a handle on what some of it is, it, like, it all changes radically again. Uh, it must be such a difficult place to make a living as a coach. Well, that's pretty significant news. Uh, you know, For those who are listening to the pod that don't know all the different nomenclature and stuff, the Classic League is the historic, generational uh, youth top-level soccer league that was in this, you know, in this area forever and ever, dating back to when you and I were kids, Buzz. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and where the best teams, the old Texans and uh, Kicks Longhorns. and Comets and Longhorns and Andromeda, yeah. all those guys and girls uh, played in their versions of the Classic League. And and so, so kids that aren't playing in the academy level all play at the Classic League. So the idea that Dallas is pulling their teams out of Classic League to go do ECNL, if in fact that is a true rumor, that would be seismic in our particular soccer community if yeah. that in fact is happening. I mean, somebody told me that like that at some of the leagues, like half the teams were FC Dallas. So it's like, I don't, there must be like a serious compression going on with Classic League. And the difference is, is just local versus statewide is going to be the difference probably in terms of what's happening. Yeah. You know, if, it, yeah, it's a it's it's a fascinating process. I don't know enough of the details to tell you why this is happening, or even can confirm it officially. I just heard about it from somebody who's a parent, which you'd think they would know since their kids on one of those teams. And I, it's one. You remember the team uh, in the in the MLS Next playoffs? There was a team that was a surprise U15 team. They were like, "Who the heck is this?" It was called FC Dallas Academy Two. They mm-hmm. called it. It turned out it was one of these uh, Classic League teams that was making the jump to the uh, ECNL. That was the one team I knew was doing it. Well, now apparently it's a whole bunch of teams that are doing it from FC Dallas. So Interesting. Uh, someday eventually I'll try and find it. We'll find out because people are going to know about it before I can probably get it confirmed. But um, it's, you know, every time I turn around, the youth landscape is changing. And and you hear from coaches that are like, yeah, this other team, team came in and took like half my players and I had to start over from scratch. It's just got to be crazy out there. Uh, we can never forget that youth soccer in the United States is a multi-billion dollar yeah. business. Follow the money for sure. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. national team gear. 
With everything from jerseys, soccer cards, and scarves, Soccer Nutty has something for everybody. Shop SoccerNutty.com now, and as listeners of this podcast, you receive 20% off your order when you use the code Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. All right, Buzz. Well, I think we've uh, done ourselves a good service in uh, recover- covering the uh, week in the action of FC Dallas and yep. other stuff. So, And we did it, like I said, without Dan. I don't know how. Somehow we stumbled through this, Buzz, you and I. <laughs> Well, he, he he brings a lot of uh, experience in terms of game breakdown, which, you know, today he couldn't join us to break down the Portland game, but I do like those features he does for us most of the time on those games. Uh, yeah, I do too. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, if that is going to be it, I will go eat dinner now. Buzz, thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. I'm actually losing my voice. I had to talk too much today. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree of the Podcast. Come back, Dan. Ooh. Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Twenty-five, twenty-five long hard years, yeah. Buzz Carrick, yeah, the man, man. Twenty-five years, you better be giving this man at least five dollars a month. Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much. Hey, come on, it's third degree old bust, yes. Give the man some motherfucking money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never.